Chapter 8 of Police Your Planet by Lester Del Rey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 8 Vote Early and Often. Izzy was up first the next morning, urging them to hurry before things began to hum. From somewhere he dug up a suit of clothes that Murdoch could wear. He found the gun that Gordon had confiscated from O'Neill and filled it from a box of ammunition he'd apparently purchased. I picked up some special permits, he said. I knew you had this cannon, Govna, and I figured it'd come in handy. Wouldn't be caught dead with one myself. Knives, that's my specialty. Come on, Captain, we gotta get out the vote. Murdoch shook his head. In the first place, I'm not registered. Izzy grinned. Every cop's registered in his own precinct. Wayne got the honor system fixed for us. Show your papers and go into any booth in your territory, that's all. And you'd better be seen voting often too, Captain. What's your precinct? Eleventh, but I'm not voting. I'd like to come along with you to observe, but I wouldn't make any choice between Wayne and Nolan. Downstairs, the rear room was locked with one of Mother Corey's guards at the door. From inside came the rare sound of water splashing, mixed with a wheezing, off-key caterwauling. Mother Corey was apparently making good on his promise to take a bath. As they reached the hall, one of Trench's lieutenants came through the entrance, waving his badge at the protesting man outside. He spotted the three and jerked his thumb. Come on, you. We're late and I ain't staying on the streets when it gets going. A small police car was waiting outside, and they headed for it. Bruce Gordon looked at the debacle left behind the drunken looting mob. Most of the barricades were down. Here and there, a few citizens were rushing about, trying to restore them, keeping wary eyes on the mobsters who had passed out on the streets. Suddenly a siren blasted out in sharp bursts, and the lieutenant jumped, Come on, you geese. I gotta be back in half an hour. They piled inside, and the little electric car took off from its top speed. But now the quietness had been broken. There were trucks coming out of the plastics plant, and mobsters were gathering up their drunks and chasing the citizens back into their houses. Some of them were wearing the forbidden guns, but it wouldn't matter on a day when no police were on duty. In the ninth precinct, the planters were the biggest gang, and all the others were temporarily enrolled under them. Here, there were less signs of trouble. The joints had been better barricaded, and the looting had been kept to a minimum. The three got off. A scooter pulled up alongside them almost at once, with a gun-carrying mobster riding it. You mugs get the hell out of... Oh, cops. Okay, better pin these on. He handed out gaudy armbands, and the three fastened them in place. Nearly everyone else already had them showing. The planters were moving efficiently. They were grouped around the booths, and they had begun to line up their men, putting them in position to begin voting at once. Then the siren hooted again, a long, steady blast. The bunting in front of the booths was pulled off, and the lines began to move. Izzy led the way to the one at the rich end of their beat, and moved toward the head of the line. 
Cops, he said to the six mobsters who surrounded the booth. We got territory to cover. A thumb indicated that they could go in. Murdoch remained outside, and one of the thugs reached for him. Izzy cut him off. Just a friend on the way to his own route, 11th Precinct. There were scowls, but they let it go. Then Gordon was in the little booth. It seemed to be in order. There were the books of registration, with a checker for Wayne, one for Nolan, and a third supposedly neutral, behind the plank that served as a desk. The Nolan man was protesting. He's been dead for ten years. I know him. He's my uncle. There's a Mike Thaler registered, and this guy says he's Thaler. The Wayne man said decisively, he votes. One of the planters passed his gun to the inspector for the Wayne side. The Nolan man gulped and nodded. Hehe, <laughs> yes, just a mix-up. He's registered, so he votes. The next man Gordon recognized as being from one of the small shops on his beat. The fellow's eyes were desperate, but he was forcing himself to go through with it. Murtaugh, he said, and his voice broke on the second syllable. Owen Murtaugh. Murtang, no registration. The Wayne Checker shrugged. Next. It's Murtaugh. M-U-R-T-A-G-H. Owen Murtaugh of 738 Morrissey. Protest. The Wayne man cut off the frantic wriggling of the Nolan Checker's finger toward the line in the book. When a man can't get the name straight the first time, it's suspicious. The supposedly neutral Checker nodded. Better check the name off, unless the real Murtaugh shows up. Any objections, yeoman? The Nolan man had no objections, outwardly. He was sweating and in surprise, and the surprise in his eyes indicated that this was all new to him. Bruce Gordon came next, showing his badge. He was passed with a nod and headed for the little closed-off polling place, but the Wayne man touched his arm and indicated a ballot. There were two piles, and this pile was already filled out for Wayne. Saves trouble, unless you want to do it yourself, he suggested. Gordon shrugged and shoved it into the slot. He went outside and waited for Izzy to follow. It was raw beyond anything he'd expected, but at least it saved any doubt about the votes. The procedure was the same at the next booth. Though they had more trouble, the Nolan man there was a fool, neither green nor agreeable. He protested vigorously, in spite of a suspicious bruise along his temple, and finally made some of the protests stick. Gordon began to wonder how it could be anything but a clear unanimous vote, at that rate. Izzy shook his head. Wayne'll win, but not that easy. The sticks don't have strong mobs, and they'll pile up a heavy Nolan vote, and you'll see things hum soon. Gordon had voted three times under the honor system before he saw. They were just nearing a polling place, when a heavy truck came careening around a corner. Men began piling out of the back before it stopped. Men armed with clubs and stones. They were in the middle of the planters at once, striking without science, but with ferocity. The line waiting to vote broke up, but the citizens had apparently organized with care. A good number of the men in the line were with the attackers. 
There was a sound of a shot and a horrified cry. For a second the citizens broke. Then a wave of fury seemed to wash over them at the needless risk to the safety of all. The horror of rupturing the dome was strongly ingrained in every citizen of Marsport. They drew back, then made a concerted rush. There was a trample of bodies, but no more shots. In a minute the citizens' group was inside, ripping the fixed ballots to shreds, filling out and dropping their own. They ignored the registration clerks. A whistle had been shrilling for minutes. Now another group came into the scene, and the planter's men began getting out rapidly. Some of the citizens looked up and yelled, but it was too late. From the approaching cars, pipes projected forward. Streams of liquid jetted out, and their agonized cries followed. Even where he stood, Gordon could smell the fumes of ammonia. Izzy's face tensed, and he swore. Inside the dome, they're poisoning the air. But the trick worked. In no time, men in crude masks were clearing out the booth, driving the last struggling citizens away, and getting ready for business as usual. Murdoch turned on his heel. I've had enough. I've made up my mind, he said. The cable offices must be open for the doctored reports on the election to Earth. Where's the nearest? Izzy frowned but supplied the information. Bruce Gordon pulled Murdoch aside. Come off the head cop roll. It won't work. They must have had reports on elections before this. Damn the trouble. It's never been this raw before. Look at Izzy's face, Gordon. Even he's shocked. Something has to be done about this before worse happens. I've still got connections back there. Okay, Gordon said bitterly. He'd like as a Murdoch had begun to respect him. It hurt to see that what he'd considered hard-headedness was just another case of a fool fighting dragons with a paper sword. Okay, it's your death certificate, he said, and turned back toward Izzy. Go send your sob stories, Murdoch. They taught a bunch of petty maxims in school. Even slum kids learned that honesty was the best policy while their honest parents rotted in unheeded holes and the racketeers rode around in fancy cars. It had got him once. He'd refused to take a dive as a boxer. He'd tried to play honest cards. He'd tried honesty on his beat back on earth. He'd tried to help the suckers in his column, and here he was. And Gordon had been proud to serve under Murdoch. Come on, Izzy, he said. Let's vote. Izzy shook his head. It ain't right, Governor. Let him do what he damn pleases, Gordon told him. Izzy's small face puckered up in lines of worry. No, I don't mean him. I mean this business of using ammonia. I know some of the G's trying to vote. They've been paying me off, and that's a retainer, you might say. Now this gang tries to poison them, I'm still running an honest beat, and I bloody well can't vote for that. Uniform or no uniform, I'm walking beat today, and the first gee that gives trouble to the men who pay me gets a knife where he eats. When I get paid for a job, I do the job. Gordon watched him head down the block, and started after the little man. Then he grimaced, rule books, even as he had one. He went down the row, voting regularly. The planters had things in order. The mess had already been cleaned up when he arrived at the cheaper end of the beat. 
It was the last place where he'd expected to do his duty by Wayne's administration. He waited in line. Then a voice hit at his ears, and he looked up to see Sheila Corey, only two places in front of him. Miss Mary Edelstein, she was saying. The Wayne man nodded, and there was no protest. She picked up a Wayne ballot and dropped it in the box. Then her eyes fell on Gordon. She hesitated for a second, bit her lips, and finally moved out into the crowd. He could see no sign of her as he stepped out a minute later, but the back of his neck prickled. He started out of the crowd, trying to act normal, but glancing down to make sure the gun was in its proper position. Satisfied, he wheeled suddenly and spotted her behind him before she could slip out of sight. Then a shot went up, yanking his eyes around with the rest of those standing near. The eyes had centered on the alleys along the street, and men were beginning to run wildly. While others were jerking out their weapons, he saw a big gray car coming up the street. On its side was painted the colors of the planters. Now it swerved, hitting a siren button. But it was too late. Trucks shot out of the little alleys, jamming forward through the people. There must have been fifty of them. One hit the big gray car, tossing it aside. It was Trench himself who leaped out, together with the driver. The trucks paid no attention but bore down on the crowd. From one of them a machine gun opened fire. Gordon dropped down and began crawling in the only direction that was open. Straight toward the alley from which the trucks had come, a few others had tried that, but most were darting back as they saw the colors of the Nolan Starpoint gang on the trucks. Other guns began firing. Men were leaping from the trucks and pouring into the mob of planters, forcing their way toward the booth in the center of the mess. It was a beautifully timed surprise attack, and a well-armed one. Even though guns were supposed to be so rare here, Gordon stumbled into someone ahead of him and saw it was Trench. He looked up and strayed into the swinging muzzle of a machine gun that had started the commotion. Trench was reaching for his revolver, but he was going to be too late. Gordon brought his up the extra half inch, aiming by the feel, and pulled the trigger. The man behind the machine gun dropped. Trench had his gun out now and was firing. After a single surprised glance at Gordon, he waved back toward the crowd. But Gordon had spotted the open trunk of the gray car. He shook his head and tried to indicate it. Trench jerked his thumb and leaped to his feet, rushing back. Gordon saw another truck go by and felt a bullet miss him by inches. Then his legs were under him, and he was sliding into the big luggage compartment where the metal would shield him. Something soft under his feet threw him down. He felt a body under him and coldness washed over him before he could get his eyes down. The cold went away to be replaced by shock. Between his spread knees lay Murdoch, bound and gagged, his face a bloody mess. Gordon reached for the gag, but the other held up his hands and pointed to the gun. It made sense. The knots were tight, but Gordon managed to get the knife under the rope around Murdoch's wrist and sliced through it. The older man's hands went out for the gun. His eyes swung toward the street, while Gordon attacked the rope around his ankles. The Star Point men were winning, though it was tough going. They had fought their way almost to the booth, but there a V of planters' cars had been gotten into position somehow, 
and gunfire was coming from behind them. As he watched, a huge man reached over one of the cars, picked up a Starpoint man, and lifted him behind the barricade. The gag had just come out when the Starpoint man jumped into view again, waving a rag over his head and yelling. Captain Trench followed him out and began pointing toward the gray car. They want me, Murdoch gasped thickly. Get out, Gordon, before they gang up on us. Gordon jerked his eyes back toward the alley on the other side. It went at an angle and would offer some protection. He looked back just as bullets began to land against the metal of the car. Murdoch held up one finger and put himself into a position to make a run for it. Then he brought the finger down sharply, and the two leaped out. Trench's ex-marine bellow carried over the fighting. Get the old man! Bruce Gordon had no time to look back. He hit the alley in five heart-ripping leaps and was around the bend. Then he swung just as Murdoch made it. Bullets spatted against the walls, and he saw blood pumping from under Murdoch's right shoulder. Keep going, Murdoch ordered. A fresh cry from the street cut into his order, however. Gordon risked a quick look, then stepped farther out to make sure. The surprise raid by the Star Pointers hadn't been quite as much of a surprise as expected, with no regard for men trying to get out of their way. The trucks of the Croopsters were battering aside the few who could not reach safety. There were no machine guns this time. They smacked into the tangle of Starpoint trucks and came to a grinding halt, men piling out ready for battle. Gordon nodded. In a few minutes, Wayne's supporters would have the booth again. There'd be a delay before any organized search could be made for the fugitives. He looked down at Murdoch's shoulder. Come on, he said finally, or should I carry you? Murdoch shook his head. I'll walk. Get me to a place where we can talk. Get me to a place where we can talk and be damned to this. Gordon, I've got to talk, but I don't have to live. I mean that. Gordon started off disregarding the words. A place of safety had to come first. He picked his way down alleys and small streets. The older man kept trying to stop to speak, but Gordon gave him no opportunity. There was one chance. It was farther down than he'd thought, and Gordon began to suspect he'd missed the way until he saw the drugstore. Now it all fell into place, the first beat he'd had with Izzy. He ducked down back alleys until he reached the right section. He scanned the street, jumped to the door of the little liquor store, and began banging on it. There was no answer, though he was sure the old couple lived just over the store. He began banging again. Finally, a feeble voice sounded from inside. Who is it? A man in distress, he yelled back. There was no way to identify himself. He could only hope she would look. The entrance seal opened briefly. Then it flashed open all the way. He motioned to Murdoch and jumped to help the failing man to the entrance. The old lady looked, then moved quickly to the other side. Ach, Gott, she breathed. Her hands trembled as she relocked the seal. Then she brushed the thin hair off her face and pointed. Gordon followed her up the stairs, carrying Murdoch on his back. She opened a door, passed through a tiny kitchen, and threw open another door to a bedroom. 
The old man lay on the bed, and this time there was no question of concussion. The woman nodded. Yes, Papa is dead. God forbid it. He would try to vote. I told him and told him, and then, with my own hands, I carried him here. Gordon felt sick. He started to turn, but she shook her head quickly. No, Papa is dead. He needs no beds now. And your friend is suffering. Put him here. She lifted the frail body of the old man and lowered him onto the floor with a strength that seemed impossible. Then her hands were gentle as she helped lower Murdoch where the corpse had been. I'll get alcohol from below, and bandages and hot water. Asa Murdoch opened his eyes, breathing stertorously. His face was blanched, his clothes a mess, but he protested as Gordon tried to strip them. Let them go, kid. There's no way to save me now. And listen. I'm listening. With your mind, Gordon, not your ears. You've heard a lot about security. Well, I'm security. Top-level policy for Mars. We never got a top man here without his being discovered and killed. That's why we've had to work under all the cover. And against our own government. Nobody knew I was here. Trench was our man. Sold us out. We've got junior men down to your level, clerks, such things. We've got a dozen plans, but we're not ready for an emergency, and it's here now. Gordon, you're a self-made louse, but you're a man underneath it somewhere. That's why we rate you higher than you think you are. That's why I'm going to trust you, because I have to. He swallowed, and the thin hand of the woman lifted Brandy to his lips. Papa, she said slowly, he was a clerk once for security, but nobody came, nobody called. She went back to trying to bandage the bleeding bluish hole in his chest. Murdoch nodded faintly, probably what happened to a lot, men like Trench, supposed to build an organization, just leaving the loose ends hanging. He groaned. Sweat popped out on his forehead, but his eyes never left Gordon's. Hell's going to pop. The government's just waiting to step in. Earth wants to take over. It should, Gordon said. No, we've studied these things. Mars won't give up. And Earth wants a plum, not responsibility. You'll have civil war and the whole planetary development ruined. Security's the only hope, Gordon. The only chance Mars had, has, or will have. Believe me. I know. Security has to be notified. There's a code message I had ready. A message to a friend. Even you can send it, and they'll be watching. I've got the basic plans in the book here. He slumped back. Gordon frowned, then found the book and pulled it out as gently as he could. It was a small black memo book, covered with pages of shorthand. The back was an address book, filled with names, many crossed out. A sheet of paper in normal handwriting fell out. The message? Murdoch took another swallow of brandy. Take it. You're head of security on Mars now. It's all authorized in the plans there. You'll need the brains and knowledge of the others. 
but they can't act. You can. We know about you. The old woman sighed. She put down the hot water and picked up the bottle of brandy, starting down the stairs. Gordon, Murdoch said faintly. He turned to put his head down. From the stairs a sudden cry and thump sounded, and something hit the floor. Gordon jumped toward the sound to find the old lady bending over the inert figure of Sheila Corey. I heard someone, the woman said. She stared at the brandy bottle sickly. God in Himmel, look at me. Am I a killer, too, that I should strike a young and beautiful girl? She comes into my house, and I sneak behind her. It is an evil time, young man. Here you carry her inside. I'll get some twine and tie her up. The idea spying on you? Gordon picked the girl up roughly. That capped it, he thought. There was no way of knowing how much she'd heard or whether she'd tipped others off. He dropped her near the bed and went over to Murdoch. The man was dying now. So security wants me to contact the others in the book and organize things? Yes, Murdoch swallowed. Not a good chance. Then, but a chance. Still time, I think, Gordon. What else can I do, Bruce Gordon asked. He knew it was no answer, but as a Murdoch apparently accepted it as a promise. The gray-speckled hand relaxed and rolled sideways on the bloody pillow. Dead, Gordon said to the woman as she came up with a twine. Dead fighting windmills and maybe winning. I don't know. He turned toward Sheila, a split second too late. The girl came up from the floor with a single push of her arm. She pivoted on her heel, hit the door, and her heels were clattering on the stairs. Before Gordon could reach the entrance, she was whipping around into an alley. He watched her go, sick inside, and the last he saw was the hand she held up, waving the little black book at him. He turned back into the liquor shop. The woman seemed to read his face. I should have watched her. It is a bad day for me, young man. I failed Papa. I failed the poor man who died. And now I have failed you. It is better. He caught her as she fell toward him. She relaxed after a second. Upstairs, please, she whispered, beside Papa. There was nothing else. And these Martian poisons, they are so sure they don't hurt. Five minutes more, I think. Stay with me. I'll tell you how Papa and I got married. I want somebody should know how it was with us once together. He stayed, then picked the two bodies up and moved them from the floor onto the bed, where he had first seen the old man. He moved Murdoch's body aside and covered the two gently. Finally, he went down the stairs, carrying Murdoch with him. The man's weight was a stiff load, even on Mars, but somehow he couldn't leave his body with the old couple. He stopped finally ten blocks of narrow alleys away and put Murdoch down. Now he had no witnesses except Sheila Corey. He had no book, no clues as to whom to see and what to do. He heard the sound of a mobile amplifier and strained his ears toward it. 
He got enough to know that Wayne had won a thumping victory, better than three to two. Isaiah Trench was still captain of the 7th Precinct. End of chapter 8